Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And today we're joined via Skype by Julie Peacock. This is our first ever conversation with Julie, whose two-year-old daughter Elise has Down syndrome. We met through a mutual friend and future guest of the show, early interventionist and child development specialist, Caroline Benz. And Julie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. We are so happy that you agreed to come on our show and share with us your experience because I feel like you know you know a lot of the questions that are out there. And uh, we have questions for you, too. <laughs> right. I was just talking about this today with our child development specialist, which you guys also um, know very well. And <clears throat> we were just discussing how it's really easy to get sucked into having your child put into a very specific box because they have Down syndrome, which I'm sure is true with autism and I know it's true with dyslexia and all of these things, but every child's so different and every parent's experience is so different and all of their unique challenges or obstacles they might have that it, the more that's out there, the better, because I feel like listening to you guys, it really felt so similar to how we felt, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's how I would feel listening to somebody else. So it's great that you guys are doing this. You know, sometimes you hear your voice in someone else's uh, story. And it's when those two things line up that you feel like you can benefit from the fact that, hey, maybe there's someone else that's dealt with this or is dealing with this or is celebrating this, whatever it is, then you're, you feel a commonality, which is, which is comforting. It's really that what you said about everybody has different challenges and everybody thinks differently. So not everybody thinks the way we do. And I know that's that's been one of my challenges. And there's even times when you feel like you're the only one who thinks this way. And the, am I crazy? Am I really, what am I doing? Am I just hitting a wall or, you know, especially right now with the distance learning, I'm, you know, I, I sit with Liam like sometimes six, six hours. And we just, you know, we do what we do. And we approach his lessons like we approach his lessons, how he learns, how Liam learns. And it takes longer than people will say. And then people will say, oh, you should only be doing two, two, uh, two years. <laughs> That's how it feels, actually. <laughs> you should only be doing two hours at a time or two to three hours at a time. And I start to second guess what what works for us. And I mean, I've been in IEPs before. And I said, I want Liam to be held to the same expectations of his peers. And I got a scoff. And they were like, you, I'm sorry, you want him to be held at the same expectations. And so I repeated myself. And they asked me so many times <laughs> to buy like the third time I was like, wait, wait, is that right? Is that really what I, like, I started to I started to go, wait a second. No, that's, that's what I want. Right. Because it was, it was so unheard of to them. And I don't blame them because that's actually kind of the, where we are, you know, in society and education and the changes are very slow. And so I understand that that's why they're looking at me going, are you kidding? But it, if you don't have anybody else who thinks like you, you, you can 
start to doubt yourself. Maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a 44-year-old newly stay-at-home mother. I actually um, had just uh, ended my work with my last client in January before all of this occurred. And um, I live with my husband and we have a five-year-old and we have our daughter, Elise, who is a two-year-old and she happens to have Down syndrome. Yes, and this pandemic has really changed the job description of stay-at-home parenting for everyone. You know, we're all dealing with different challenges related to that. I feel very um, fortunate, and I know there's a lot of people who are not in the position that we are in, but specifically being a stay-at-home mom, I feel like having my husband here is almost kind of like a gold mine. and I know that eventually the financial aspects will catch up, but for me, it's actually a real a real relief and very nice yeah it's not that way for a lot of people but that's that's really great we we kind of feel that we're trying to take advantage of this time both of us being home with the kids and and seeing if we can not only keep up with the instruction but see if we can make a difference in in advancing some some things right now your child's younger so we're not talking school age but when your child was born you did know that she had down syndrome yeah, we found out when I was about 10 weeks along and uh, they called to, um, we thought they were calling to give us the gender. And we knew at the time that I had about a one in 60 chance of having a child with Down syndrome. And we, you know, had had conversations before that no matter what um, happened, that we were going to have our child and love our child for who they are, not because of who we think they should be. Um, so it still came as a, a shock. You know, you're never, I don't think, really prepared for that, or at least we weren't. Um, but I remember answering the phone and I was so excited to find out. And the way that it was presented to us was like, well, well, kind of hang on a second, right? Um, we have something we need to tell you. And, and I do want to say that my OBGYN is a, a lovely woman and she's been very supportive. And I'm not sure, you know, if it's because they're not sure how we're going to respond, that they want to make sure that they are being empathetic about the way that they present it. But from my end, it felt kind of like I was receiving bad news. So when they told me that she, um, the test had come back, and so there was a very high percentage chance that she had Down syndrome, I, I kind of just processed it at the moment, like, okay. And they said, okay. And I went, okay, well, we're, you know, we're going to to keep our child. And she said, okay. And I said, well, can you tell me, did you get the gender? <laughs> and so they said, yeah, we have it. I said, well, okay, don't tell me we're still, you know, call, you know, cause just the, the three of us, my husband and my um, then uh, three-year-old daughter and I were going to get a cake and find out if it was a boy or a girl based on the filling. And, and so that was how, how we first found out. And so then I got off the phone and shared the news with my husband and that, you know, starts a whole nother process of processing. We've discussed that before too, where where we were this adamant, whatever happens, happens. And then we knew there was a chance. And then we found out after Lean was born, 10 days after he was born, when the test came and and it still rocked us. And so we, I think it's something that you can kind of prepare for. But then when you do hear the news, it's kind of hard not to be pretty uh, shaken by it. Yeah, it was for us. We, we were definitely shaken. You know, at first, when we found out, we decided 
that we didn't want to call anyone and, and talk to them about it until we got our hearts and minds ready because we knew that this was our child. And But we also understood that different people have different viewpoints on things and, and all the people we were going to tell, we felt like we're going to be coming at it in a way where they were trying to do something supportive for us, um, whether it was, you know, crying or um, we didn't expect to get congratulations, but we did get that a few times. And that was actually really heart lifting. Um, or if they were going to say like, oh, you know, I could never do that. Or what are you going to do? So we wanted to make sure that we were prepared before we called to, to tell people it in a way that we were telling them good news. At first, it felt like we were maybe going to be grieving this idea of who our child would be the whole pregnancy. And we were all almost going, well, why did we, why did they even tell us? Like, you know, now the whole pregnancy is, you know, you know, being about this grief and it really felt heavy on us, but we believe in God, we have a relationship with God and we really prayed on it. And um, we decided the next day that he was going to call a friend of his who had a child with Down syndrome. And I was going to call a friend of mine who I know also has a really personal relationship with God. Cause I feel like when I'm grieving, sometimes I don't hear very well when I'm in prayer and we knew they would both give us positive reinforcement and that's what we needed. And really after those conversations, it lifted us up so much that we still went a little bit back and forth in a kind of a grieving state for a couple of weeks. But then after that, it was mostly a high. We, we would have those moments for sure where we would slip back in and cry and go, oh, what does this mean for her? How are people going to treat her? How, how is she going to be able to live in the society that we live in and be treated the same way and have the same opportunities? And, but we, we actually had a, a really good pregnancy for most of it. Well, that's that hopeful side of things that I think we would like to see the medical profession do a little more, and I think it happens. It's just we didn't get that. We didn't get it as full as we wanted it. And I think that's, you're really blessed to have had friends that you could rely on or, or family that could talk, you could talk to. I wanted to ask you, because you said when you got the news that it felt like you were getting bad news. What about that conversation made it feel like it was bad news? Well, a lot of it is in the tone of voice of being one more of empathy versus one of excitement. So it was, instead of, you know, if you're getting, say you're getting the gender and they're saying, well, it's a boy, <laughs> there's some excitement mm-hmm. there. It, it was more along the lines of, okay, so I need, I need to tell you something and, you know, your test came back and I, and, you know, I really can't remember the exact words to use, but it was pretty to the point. And then after she told me, she was kind of quiet to wait and see how I would respond. And when I said, well, we're going to, you know, we were going to keep the baby no matter what, then she was like, okay. And I, you know, and then we went on with the conversation, but I, um, and I know everyone's different. And so it's hard, I suppose, for, especially a doctor who's got all kinds of issues, they have to deal with their own personal feelings, and also probably liabilities and all kinds of things with knowing how they should um, tell someone. But for me, personally, I would have loved to have gotten, okay, so we have some news for you. It's, it's um, good news. It's different news, though. You know, but but that's so easy to say, you know, just for me and especially looking back, I think that that would have been helpful to me. But in the long run, I feel like we just had to so get our hearts and minds ready. We did have one experience that was pretty mind blowing for me 
as far as the medical community went. Um, if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and share that with you guys. Sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, so about um, three months in, you know, we had to go see a high-risk OBGYN. And actually, I had to do this with my first daughter, too, because I was, you know, a much older, what, what do they call it, like a geriatric person. <laughs> so I was in my yeah. late 30s, right? Yeah. That's encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> So we went in for the 3D scan and we had asked, you know, when we called to make the appointment, we asked if we could see a counselor first because they off they offered and we said, yeah, we'd love to, to do that. We thought, well, this that's great that they offer that. And in our mind, we're thinking, well, we're going to go in a room with someone and they're going to kind of talk to us about how we're feeling and where we're at and give us like resources or tips. But it really what it was is we went in and and they went over the blood test and explained that it was a 96 percent chance that um, she had Down syndrome and she explained that they were going to be looking at the fluid on the neck um, as one of the um, dictators for whether or not she had Down syndrome. And it was all a very monotone conversation. So in some ways, kind of depressing to us as well. But then we were asked again if we wanted to, you know, how we felt. We were like, okay, well, we're moving forward with it. And then we went in and um, the doctor came in and he knew from a conversation with our doctor previously that we wanted to uh, keep our child. And he proceeded to tell me, you know, he wanted to explain some things that I should understand. And one of the things he first said was, if you end up with a child with Down syndrome that's functioning at the level of a seven-year-old, it's like you've won the lottery. And that's really impressive for them. Uh, at the same time, unfortunately, you have children with uh, DS that are functioning at a much, much lower level, and unfortunately, many times so low of a level that they require institutionalism at a relatively mm. younger age, an age where they are physically like a teen, large teenagers or adults. At that point, it becomes much more difficult for their parents to take care of them. And mm. I just didn't say a whole lot because what I was thinking wasn't very nice, so I... Um, <laughs> I didn't say a lot. I had already done a lot of research and I knew what he was telling me was not accurate, but I also felt like I knew why he was saying that, where his heart stood on the matter. And so I was, I was quiet. And so he kept talking and he goes on to say, the issue is that if you go 20 years back where there were many, many schools that were dedicated to children with Down syndrome and there were many more programs, there was a lot more available for families that had a child with Down syndrome. And I know this because I have a very good friend who adopted a child with Down syndrome. And so this is based on my own reading and also, you know, being closely involved with a family with a child with DS. The schools now that have children with special needs, it's more autism. It has basically become a mixture of many different things, which makes it very difficult to really get a program, an individual program that fits a certain type of issue better. I have multiple patients who have children with DS and have kept the children. And he goes on. And again, I'm thinking there are more programs for children with Down syndrome today than there have ever been. So why is he saying this to me? Did you ask him? I was, again, very quiet because I didn't feel like I was be very articulate at that moment. Mommy Hulk was in me kind of trying to get out. I let him just keep going. Uh, I had also really researched nutrition, and I wanted to run some of those things by him. And he answered those in a way that are not accurate. And a lot of times when I would tell people that story, their first question was, well, how old was the doctor? But he mm. was just a little older than me. Um, and he's a high-risk OBGYN. He's very familiar with the actual data. So that the fact that he was telling me this information that I knew to be inaccurate 
and then you know afterwards okay of course we you know we just want to make sure that you have the information you need and then reiterated that my doctor had said we were going to decide to keep him and i and i said yes and he said well that's wonderful we'll support you with anything you choose i'm like yeah sure <laughs> sure you will but um i uh that took me back quite a bit aback and um we didn't go back to see that high risk OBGYN, of course but i i thought gosh that experience, if you are already scared, if you're already, maybe you're alone in this, maybe you have uh, a partner who doesn't agree with you on what the outcome should be, to go into a room and be so vulnerable like that and think you're speaking to a medical professional who would, of course, not give you misinformation, it really was so sad. Well, when the medical profession becomes a tipping point one way or the other, especially when it's such a grave tipping point where they're pushing you possibly to terminate this pregnancy at every, even after you've stated that you, this isn't an option. It, it's a bit frustrating. And you talk about, you were really happy about some of the things you heard. I think it's good to talk about that and to express that because that's what we want. We want these positive things said to us at these moments. And if we keep talking about them and put them out there, I think people in the in the profession will start to regurgitate these things just like possibly this early 40s doctor is regurgitating things he's heard from from older doctors and 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 obviously data that's not accurate i feel like where the injustice is is that you're a mom a new mom who's uh pregnant in the early stages of a pregnancy where we know the impact that stress has on you and your body and everything that you are going with just being pregnant as a woman just being pregnant and to have someone not only give you this information that's false first of all it that it's it's wrong it's it's outright wrong and I'm just going to say it it's wrong and moms should know that parents should know that they are wrong what they're doing is they're taking information that's based upon what they're seeing because of the way that people with Down syndrome have been treated historically. People with Down syndrome have been treated historically that babies were taken away from their mother or their mother was told this baby needed to be institutionalized. And very few mothers knew to fight that because that was a doctor telling them. And then these babies were institutionalized, giving no, uh, nothing was inputted. And there was no input and if you do that to any, any human being, you take any baby and you pull away all the love and all the nurturing and a healthy diet and someone who believes in you and kind words and support and you put them in an institution, you're, you're not going to see much difference between a neurotypical and someone with Down syndrome. I really believe that because that is, that's what happens in that environment. And so they're taking what they've seen and they're saying it as fact. I think that's what we fight against. And I think that's what I want moms to know is that believe in yourself and do your work. And just because it's a doctor and they have a white coat, that, that, that's not the, the last word. You have the last word because you have, you have the input in your child's life. Because I know that after the fact, when Liam was born, our counselor that came in to talk to us said to me, now this is my child in the NICU fighting for his life. You do know that there was a test you could have taken, right? <laughs> I'm like, uh, excuse me? I don't really like what you're saying right now. 
You mean the, about the little boy that's right in the You mean that right kid right there? You? You're, yeah. you, you know, he can hear you. That's really wrong. Um, and I just remember, like, she said, I go, excuse me, and she repeated it. And I said, you know, I don't like where I think you're going right now. So I'm going to ask you to stop. And I just stopped her. And I'm glad I did that because um, she probably doesn't get stopped. And I would want to ask you right now because maybe there's a mom who's pregnant right now listening to this um, or someone who just found. And you know what? It's, it's good news. It's a challenge. Uh, but every pregnancy is challenging. Every human life is a challenge. Every child that's born is a challenge. Everybody has their challenges. So I, I know that can sound naive because I understand some of the challenges, the health risks and things that come along with Down syndrome. I get those. But to put those at the forefront, which I feel like the medical community does, they put the chances of those happening at the forefront and they put those on parents who just want to celebrate their child. And that's where I think it's wrong because whatever challenge will happen, those are our challenges, right? And to just negate all the goodness is wrong because in life, it's the goodness that really balances off every life, every life that we have. It's those, it's, that's what gives us the perspective. That's what gives us the strength to get through. And so is there anything that, uh, cause our podcast is, if I knew then, is there anything that you would do differently in talking to that doctor now? If you could go back and you're like, if you could jump with Marty McFly and get, <laughs> is there anything that you would do differently when that doctor was talking to you? Well, I think that if I knew he was going to say that, right after he said it all, I'd say, okay, just so you know, I'm going to post up this audio online. <laughs> because, I, I, you know, I feel like um, I, I have shared that information with, you know, other therapists, and I want them to know. And I shared it with my doctor and my pediatrician and the OBGYN. I'm pretty sure my pediatrician called <laughs> because she was pretty upset and wrote down his information. I was told by some of them, you know, this is a this is a good opportunity for us to educate him. And the the kinder part of me wants to believe that yes, educating him would really help, but I honestly believe he knew what he was saying was not true. And I I don't think it's a matter of educating this in particular individual. I sh I'm sure that's true with many people that it is just a matter of not having the right information. However, with this individual, I am I am almost certain that there is some sense from them that this life shouldn't exist. And as hard as it is to hear and say, there are people who believe in some sense of a, a more pure bloodline on one level or another. And it was pretty clear to me, not just what he was saying, but in his body language and in the look he was giving me, what he really feels. So that's probably what I would do if I knew then, a, because I feel like he needed to be stopped from doing this to other women. Well, he needs to take personal responsibility. You can't just rattle off these things and do your damage. There's some. There's a sense of personal responsibility that, that needs to be there to where people go, all right, yeah, it is my opinion, but you don't get to spout that as if it's truth. So right off the bat, you became an advocate for your daughter. Like, right. In embryo, you were already starting to dig into that. You're you're going to be an advocate. Definitely. I mean, if anything, it really just did make me dig in more. Right then, I uh, I had always been of the the viewpoint too, even before this in conversations I might have with other people that you know. So like, look, Einstein had 
at least 40 IQ points on me. And you know, many others have much more than that. And an Olympic athlete can do things that I cannot do with my body, but I don't feel like they have the right to tell me that I can't live a quality of life and that I don't have value to contribute to the world. So how dare any of us say that somebody else who may not have the same capabilities in one area or another, I just feel like it, it sometimes it feels like our, our culture as a whole can value the ability to earn a paycheck over the capacity to love. And I knew my child was gonna have a capacity to love. And for me, that's the most important thing. You know, what's most important to me is that when my children are older is that they're, they're kind people, they're loving people and that they're spreading more love to the world. That's what I see as a successful person you know, are you happy? And I know you're happy if you're loving. What I don't want is my child to grow up to be a jerk. That's the most important thing. And so I already felt that way. And then hearing him talk like that made me go, okay, this is, I'm going to have lots of interesting conversations throughout this, this life. And I need to be prepared for the next one. I feel like the same blood runs through our veins, Julie, (laughs) because that's one of the things that I've, I've always, I've, that's been, at the bane of my existence is, I mean, when I finished college, I continued to learn and I, and I have the door open. Like I can learn, I get to learn for the rest of my life. So why are we putting this limit of like, well, well, they only have until this and that's as long as they get to learn and this is where they're going to be. And it, and first of all, I don't like the, they, when the doctors and the educators start their sentence off with they, Uh, they're no longer just talking about my son and they're dealing with things that aren't facts. And one thing that did strike me, because when you were telling it and I, and I hear myself do it too, is that you automatically made it okay. And you made it understanding for him, for what he did. There was a lot of like, I understand and this, and as a mom, uh, I know that that was my go-to is to kind of make everything okay for everybody. And then I went through, why am I making this okay for everybody? And why do I have to make it okay? And that naturally progressed into an anger phase of why do I have to make this okay? Why do I have to make these statements that are inappropriate okay? Honestly, these statements for the most part are coming from a place of people just trying their best. It's okay to, to meet them with kindness and to say there's, there's no way to get rid of that through anger. It goes back to Martin Luther King Jr. is the only way to get rid of darkness is with light. Coming from that loving place of this person just doesn't know. And so, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do. And there's slow changes happening. I, I feel like where we are now Ten, at Liam is 10, it's so much of a different world than when Liam was born. I really think that there's more information out there that's factual. And my husband has been sharing this video. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it on social media, but it's this gentleman with Down syndrome and he is playing the guitar so beautifully. A classical guitar just, and the handwork. And the first thing I think when I see the handwork is, oh, the low tone. <laughs> you know, we go through all of these things that people have told us that our kids won't do because of this reason or that reason. And I look at that video and I'm like, oh, 
And so I actually, we were actually telling Liam, have you seen this young man play the guitar, Liam? <laughs> right. Liam wanted me to turn, he had the headsets on, and like, he gave me the headset to turn off. And I was like, no, come on, you can turn that off. <laughs> I'm not doing this for you. And by the way, we know you can play classical guitar. So right. we know you can play the guitar. We know that you can do anything that you set your mind to. And that's the truth about our children. That's the truth about any child. They get to choose who they become. We, we don't tell them who they become. I can tell Sophia night and day, but she will become who she chooses to become. The same, it's equal with Liam. Uh, it's not so cut and dry as they would lead us to believe. And I think that is what I want parents to know. Every life. Every life is complex and it's filled with these ebbs and tides. The good and the bad and the indifferent. No one fact determines the value of someone's life, and neither does one chromosome. And I think that that is what I wish I knew then, is that Liam is going to become who he chooses to become. And that chromosome is a part of who he is, but it is not his totality. He will choose who he becomes. I agree. I think that's something I wish I, I had known then as well. Uh, so, Julie, before we let you go, is there anything you wanted to add? Maybe share something about uh, Elise's birth, maybe? Yeah, I, I'd say that, so for our birth story, you know, it, during the pregnancy, even though we didn't worry through most of it, there were definitely moments. And there were moments of, like, crying or moments of being afraid. And then, you know, when she when we went to the hospital, you know, when I was starting to have, you know, contractions and um, they were monitoring her and we had one, we had one nurse say in front of us, I, I can't remember if she was talking to someone else or if she was talking to me because it was kind of a, a, a shocking moment. She said something like her doctor doesn't even think the baby actually has Down syndrome. So we something about they didn't have to worry about something. And Aaron and I just kind of like, why would she say that? Like, because she, to, up to that point, she had no, and, and she didn't, you know, ever but have health issues. But so I think that's maybe my doctor, perhaps she never said that to me, but perhaps said that to the nurse. But we, that was, that was a strange moment for us because then you kind of go, you feel that little like, oh, well, maybe, and then you're like, but why am I getting excited? Like, we've already decided that we're okay with this and let's just not, don't worry about that. But, it, you know, you're human and you have these different ups and downs and emotions. And so then we went through the, the whole birthing experience where, you know, with my first daughter, I thought I was going to do it natural until <laughs> back labor started. And I started screaming pumpernickel, which was my safety word. <laughs> This time around, I was like, well, I'm going to wait for it to be painful enough that I don't feel the epidural, but I'm not going to let it get that far. So I um, went ahead and got the epidural and we um, ended up, you know, having her and they, they got her and they, they laid her next to me and we both looked at her and without having to even say a word to each other, Erin and I both knew she had Down syndrome. We could tell, but we also, there was such a peace about it for us because I you know we had known this we had been able to prepare for it whatever but we there was a real peace and just kind of this bonding moment and it was really what was beautiful about it is we knew 
in that moment, even if there was any doubt lingering in us that we loved her just as much as if she hadn't had it, that she was no different. She just was. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. I know we need to have you back in another episode. And thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I've learned a lot from you guys. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod. And you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod. Or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Oh,